You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. It seems the lesson of the day is don't mess with the New Hampshire Federation of Republican Women, especially when it comes to the Lilac Luncheon. I think we've established that since we've been on the air. It happened today. Donald Trump, a former president, was the keynote speaker. Ron DeSantis was not. The former governor of Florida was towns away, about an hour drive in Hollis, New Hampshire, where he held what's being framed as a competing town hall. Now, the Federation is the largest or claims to be the largest group of conservative women in New Hampshire. And if you're trying to get the, uh, the nomination, you, you want to win New Hampshire. It's kind of important to win them over. You can add... A little salt the wound here uh, in new numbers from St. Anselm. Donald Trump, 47, DeSantis, 19. And then it's off a cliff to single digits from there. Chris Christie, 6. Nikki Haley, 5. Tim Scott, 4. Mike Pence is pulling in two points here, tied with Ramaswamy, Hutchinson, and Burgum. The lay of the land out today, according to St. Anselm, and Glad to say we're joined by Chris Galdari, political science professor at St. Anselm College. Chris, it's been too long. I appreciate having you back here on Bloomberg Radio. Uh, am I making too much out of the dueling speeches here? What are they saying in New Hampshire? I mean, I think um, it's a big state. You know, there's enough room for two events at the same time. You but I think. think this really, um, you know, addresses... Uh, the issue that DeSantis has had, he has just really struggled to get any sort of traction since he became a candidate. Um, and with this sort of thing, it's just, you know, you're irritating, uh, as you said, a large group of conservative women voters. Um, and of course, that makes it easy fodder for Trump to attack him for that. Mm -hmm. Why isn't he here? Why is he down in Hollis, et cetera, et cetera? Um, and, you know, DeSantis really just does not seem to be able to catch a break in this campaign so far. Well, not in your state, certainly. He's down 10 points, uh, it looks like, in this poll, Chris. That's that's a pretty big drop. It's a huge drop. Um, and remember, this is somebody who's been set up for the last, you know, three or four years as the, you know, the Trump slayer candidate, the guy who is right. going to ride in and... Uh, rescue the Republican Party from, you know, all of the headaches that go along with having Donald Trump be your 
party's leader and standard bearer. And if that's going to happen, you know, so far, um, you know, so far, there are no signs of that. Uh, Trump is, you know, almost got a majority of Republican voter support in New Hampshire right now. I mean, that is really tough. It's really, you know, tough thinking back over past campaigns to think of somebody who was pulling in these sorts of numbers uh, this late in the game, because we're only you know, probably seven or eight months out tops mm -hmm. from uh, the New Hampshire primary uh, who did not get nominated. So there wow. we are. Yeah. So the St. Anselm College Survey Center, uh, you should know, spoke to more than a thousand registered voters. That's uh, mm -hmm. the methodology here. And it was collected between June 21st and 23rd. So I wonder, Chris, the extent to which the indictment helped Trump and hurt Ron DeSantis noting that period of time. Yeah, I, th I think that's right. Um, I think there are probably two things that are going on. One is a lot of Republicans uh, view all of these indictments as fundamentally illegitimate and politically motivated and, and so on. So if that's your belief, then if you think Trump is being attacked, that might make you um, more willing to support him. And the other is that very few of the other Republicans, and I'd put DeSantis in this number, um, have shown any ability to or willingness to attack him for that. I mean, think about that. Getting indicted, I think we can agree, is bad. Uh, <laughs> I and used to think that. You, yeah, you did, right? Right. Um, so you'd think that, well, if a candidate running for office gets indicted, won't his opponents attack him for that? Won't they say, you know, whether you agree or disagree, this is going to be a headache. Do you want to have a candidate who's got to commute from court? to uh, campaign events and rallies and that sort of thing, or, or oh, we can't schedule uh, a debate for Thursday. Uh, you know, uh, Mr. Trump is, has got to be back in court. He's got to get to bed early enough to be up <laughs> to be in court is where he's right. defended. Uh, and you, you, you get some of this from Christie. You get some of it from Aza Hutchison and, mm -hmm. and Will Hurd. But for the most part, uh, DeSantis in particular um, has gone in on defending him on this. And so it's just this really weird state of affairs where something objectively you know, terrible has happened to Trump that would be fatal for any other candidate, but none of his opponents are willing to uh, go after him for this. They, they keep hoping that, you know, the hand of God will come down uh, and <laughs> and right. uh, settle their Trump problem for them. And, you know, you'd think after eight years, they'd know that that's not how it works. But it's interesting. Listen to Ron DeSantis from earlier today uh, in Hollis. Everybody knows who he's talking about. You just never hear the name. And I remember these rallies in 2016. It was exciting. Drain the swamp. I also remember lock her up, lock her up, right? And then two weeks after the election, ah, oh, don't forget about it. Forget I ever said that. No, no, no. One thing you'll get from me, if I tell you I'm going to do something, I'm not just saying that for an election. And there are promises I could make that may help me marginally politically that I don't know that I could, that I could necessarily follow through on. So I will not make that. Chris Galdieri, let's go local here because the knock on Ron DeSantis is he's not an effective enough retail politician to the point where you actually enjoy it, you know, that, that it, you're actually you light up when you meet people and that that in the state of New Hampshire is a disqualifier. 
It certainly hurts. Um, you know, I, I don't think the primary is as face-to-face uh, -face as it was even, you know, three or four cycles ago. But people here, you know, they like to meet candidates. They, they really feel like, you know, they can... Uh, take the measure of a candidate's skill uh, and whether they'd be a good president or not from, you know, having a conversation with them at a diner or a coffee shop or at a rally or something like that. Uh, and yeah, I, as, as you've said, DeSantis is somebody who really struggles with this to the point where, you know, he has staffers who, you know, have told him, so, you know, you need to talk to people when they come up to you. You need to smile and ask them about themselves and have a brief conversation. And this is not an easy skill. You know, if, if you're not somebody this comes naturally to, uh, you know, this is extraordinarily difficult, you know. And so I I, I do have some sympathy. I'm, I'm somebody who would, would rather stab myself with a fork than uh, make small talk in a lot of situations. Yeah. Um, but note that I'm not running for office and where and certainly not running for office in a state where people expect that. Um, and, you know, Trump doesn't do a lot of retail politics either, but he is he so well to. known. He was so famous. He never mm -hmm. needed it. Right? People felt like they knew him from watching The Apprentice. They mm -hmm. felt like they knew him from his being a celebrity for 30 years before he ran for president uh, in, in 2016. Um, but for somebody like DeSantis, especially somebody who's been built up like that, yeah. uh, they want to get uh, get some of that experience themselves, right? They, they feel like, you know, there should be some excitement when you meet him. And when there isn't, you know, that that's, that's sort of, you know, it's disappointing. What a way to make a living. Chris, you mentioned Indeed. Chris Christie who's really zeroed in on New Hampshire. That's where he's planting the flag, clearly, uh, with the I'll be the guy to punch him in the nose strategy here. I know we've been hearing uh, from some others, Will Hurd's taking a swing at Donald mm -hmm. Trump, but is that approach from Christie resonating in a state that already knew who he was? Now, it, it looks like Christie might be getting a little bit of, uh, making a little bit of headway with that. But, you know, if you look at this survey, he's still down at 6%. Um, and the number I'm looking at uh, is 9%. That's how much Bill Weld got running against oh, Donald Trump man. in the 2020 primary. So, That's for, tough. you know, and, but if you add up Christie and Hutchison, they're at 8%. So it looks mm -hmm. like, you know, that never Trump vote um, is That's already the found Bill never Weld Trump vote. candidates. Right, Oof. right. So if, if, you know, if Christie or Hutchison or Heard, if they start getting in excess of 9%, then I'm, I'm going to start thinking, okay, maybe there is something happening here. You know, maybe those yeah. um, folks who are leaving DeSantis are looking to somebody who's more critical of Trump. This is right brutal. Now, so you've basically made a, like, you've made a Christie yeah. Hutchinson ticket already, Chris. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. New Jersey, Arkansas, that, that Trenton Little Rock connection. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, look, I guess he's going to stay there. Uh, tell us lastly, I've only got uh, 30 seconds here, which mm -hmm. I know you always love to throw a question at you, but uh, the Republican primary is fixed. When's the Democratic primary in New Hampshire? Uh, the state is going to hold the Democratic primary the same day as the Republican primary. Uh, and then get disqualified the at the convention. That's what it looks like is going to happen. You know, the, right. the state party has gotten a bit of an extension, but uh, right now uh, the state party and the national party are engaged in a high stakes game of chicken. Yeah, and so sure far is. nobody's blinked. And I thought I'd be able to come up to Manch Vegas twice. Chris, great to have you. Come back again. Let's stay close as we get ever closer to the primary in the Granite State. Chris Galdieri, political science professor at St. Anselm College. Great conversation here on Bloomberg Radio.
You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. The headline on the terminal says it all. Supreme Court rejects GOP backstate judge election rule. As we wonder what could have been and the impact of this ruling today, Another opinion day for the Supreme Court. We assemble the panel. Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are with us, Bloomberg Politics contributors. Rick, this came from a Republican effort in North Carolina. It would have really changed the rules here. And as someone who I think uh, has spoken articulately and, and consistently about election denying and, and getting beyond this phase in our country, I'm guessing you see this as a good day in the court. Yeah, and I think this speaks to the whole issue around gerrymandering, right, which was the core of this case. And and I think that it's really impressive to me that the Supreme Court, one, didn't just uh, uh, declare it moot like the minority wanted it to because the state court changed hands and became Republican and throughout the case. Uh, they hung in there and they didn't call it moot. They said this is an important precedent and they said the federal system has a role in these elections. So uh, I think this is a, a really nice step forward. I wouldn't have expected it out of uh, some of the members of the court, but yeah. uh, I'm impressed that they took the courage to do it. You surprised to see uh, Kavanaugh Barrett be part of this majority, Jeannie? No, I'm not. You know, I, I did listen to the oral arguments in this case, and in their question, you could hear all three of what I call our mushy middle of the Supreme Court, Roberts, Kavanaugh, Coney, Barrett. They were all, you know, not firmly ensconced in this idea of this independent state legislative theory, but they weren't rejecting it in it wholly. And so... I'm not surprised, and I do think they are looking for a middle ground. I think it's important to remember we had 50 chief justices from 50 state Supreme Courts and the founder of the Federalist Society come out and say this is crazy talk. So, you know, this isn't just a Democrat, you know, versus Republican kind of thing. That said, I think there is a note of caution in this decision that I am so anxious to hear June and Greg and everybody else speak to because Roberts says states' courts do not have free reign. They mm -hmm. are subject to oversight by the federal courts, right. but he doesn't say what that means, and I think that remains a big, big question. 
What does that mean going forward when there is a dispute? You imagine we get to 24, there's a state elect, there's a dispute at the state level, and five or six of these people are going to decide that dispute. Mm -hmm. That's an uncomfortable proposition for many of us. Yeah, let's put a finer point on that, Rick. Uh, Robert says state courts do not have free reign to reject maps and other rules crafted by lawmakers, and that could leave things uh, pretty wide open, no? Yeah, and this court, uh, the Supreme Court, has always been pretty flexible when it comes to political cases. Um, you know, they they opened up gerrymandering as saying uh, in a landmark case that they, they thought it was okay for states to use politics to govern mm. uh, uh, gerrymandering and, and drawing district lines. And and yet this one ran afoul because of the fact that it was done in, in, in violation of a Civil Rights Act. So, um, you know, it had a little more fine point to it. Uh, but look, I mean— I think Roberts rightly says we don't want to open this up to sort of the, you know, George W. Bush era, you know, federal judiciary deciding election outcomes. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that's the last thing we want is the Supreme Court deciding who gets to win presidential races or Senate races. So uh, I, I think this is a slippery slope. You've got to be careful where the court winds up on it. Uh, and, uh, and, and the last thing we want is the jurisdiction of the Supreme Court being the final arbiter of election disputes. Well, so, Jeannie, does this make it more difficult to gerrymander, or does it remove something that would have made it easier to gerrymander? You know, I don't think it makes it more difficult. I think what's going to happen is there will be oversight, gratefully, from the state courts, but they're also then going to be subject, apparently, to some, you know, ill undefined oversight at the federal level to those decisions. And, you know, Neil Katyal, who was the lawyer, one of the lawyers, um, opposing the North Carolina state legislature, he said in his oral argument, he said, you don't want case after case winding up in the federal court. Hmm. Um, you know, you want to leave it to the 50 states to interpret their own constitutions, to make their own decisions. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, we can't do that fully, but I'm not convinced that this majority opinion by Roberts and the rest really shuts that off completely. So I do think we are sort of in uncharted territory here. I mean, I'm just reading this as it's just come out. So, yeah, right. you know, it's 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 you know, there's a lot to read here, but I think it's uncharted territory. And I think it makes an increasingly uh, sort of significant role for the federal courts in our elections. And that's something that we have frowned upon for most of our history until 2000. We are getting clutch analysis here from Rick and Jeannie. Uh, uh, Rick, as you look to 2024, are there any uh, direct lines, any implications uh, for elections specifically in the House? Uh, I think that th this is really confined to uh, redistricting, and we've just gone through, you know, that 10-year recycling of yep. the redistricting. So my and, and I think this echoes the same sentiment the court uh, ruled on the Alabama redistricting case, you know, uh, just a few days ago. So I, I think the court sounds pretty consistent on this, and, and I don't think it'll have a major impact uh, other than North Carolina uh, drawing new districts uh, that, um, you know, that, that they'll have a much of an impact on on this election cycle. Uh, I would say it, it does sort of put to bed, at least for the meantime, this whole uh, state legislative control, you know, of the federal election system. So uh, I think that that independent state legislator doctrine is dead for now. Statement from Barack Obama on this I found interesting on Moore versus Harper. Quote, this ruling is a resounding rejection of the far-right theory that has been peddled by election deniers and extremists seeking to undermine our democracy. 
Is he right about that, Jeannie? Yeah, you know, I, I do think that's right. I think it's important that that theory was struck down. I agree with Rick. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's, I think, put to bed for now. But let's not forget, four of our nine justices had to think there was something there there that they accepted this case in the first place. So it is not as fringe, I think, as some people are talking about. And I think it's also important that they did this this year, quite frankly. Imagine if they took a case like this next year in an election year, um, you know, how fraught and controversial that would be. So the yeah. timing is good here. But I do think that this is a theory like happens in the courts. These theories, you know, they reassert themselves. And I don't think it is, you know, uh, put to bed as much as some people might hope. So that means we still have a couple of big ones. Uh, and as I mentioned, when we were talking to Greg, Thursday has been scheduled as the next day for opinions. We're still waiting on uh, student loan debt relief, affirmative action, and a few other ones here that we're going to be talking about later in the week. They left Friday open potentially to schedule another day, and by that I mean they didn't say Thursday would be it. I've got to ask you both. We're going to have a little more time for this in a minute, but I've got to ask you both about the tape. You know which one I mean. Well, with Millie, uh, let me see that. I'll show you an example. He said that Donald Trump I wanted to attack with the documents. Iran. Isn't it amazing? I have a big pile of papers. This thing just came out. Big Look. pile of papers. This was him. I can hear the papers. They presented me this. This is off the record, but they presented me this. This was him. This was the Defense Talking Department. Talking about General Mark Milley. Wow. We looked at some. Alleged battle this plan for Iran. Me. This was him. All sorts of stuff. Pages long. Rick Davis, uh, questions about the extent to which uh, this will... Uh, make a stronger case, at least in the perception of the public, now that we've got ears on this? Yeah, I mean, it's an indictment that Donald Trump can only do to himself. And uh, it, pretty clear that he knows he's handling confidential classified information and he knows it's wrong to do. Uh, and he knows he hasn't got any power to change the outcome of it. Uh, yet he does it anyway. And, and it's all based on a grievance he has, you know, dating back to his administration with the, the chief of uh, uh, staff of, of, the, Chiefs, of, the, yeah. of the military. So, I mean, like, it's, it's a complete uh, uh, self-incrimination, uh, but it speaks to his mind, speaks to what he knows, and I think leads right into the indictments that, uh, that we've now seen. Does this change anything in the case now that you've heard it, Jeannie? Um, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, we did it to, to, to Zeldin's point. We had the transcript, so we knew. But to hear him in his own words, it yeah. is, you know, it, it's meaningful. I have to say, I liked the ending. Bring some Cokes in, please. He's Bring very respectful. Yes. You know, he's saying things like, so cool. And, you know, obviously Hillary Clinton, Anthony Weiner had to come up. So, you know, it's, it's pretty stunning to hear it from that respect. But, you know, I think it just reaffirms in my mind that while lawyers um, shudder when they hear this Trump is not thinking about the court case he's not thinking of any of that he's thinking about trying to show that Mark Milley was wrong and he was mm -hmm. right so he's fighting on one lane and everybody else is thinking about something else I don't even think he's quite you know wrapped his head around the court aspect of this or the legal aspect because I don't think he still has sort of seems like he hasn't sort of realized that this could really include some real jail time and I'm wondering what happens when that hits him Wow. Well, we have a lot uh, more to talk about there because Donald Trump is back in New Hampshire today, and so is the governor of Florida. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. 
the lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. Dueling speeches today in New Hampshire with new numbers on the Republican race for the nomination. This time courtesy St. Anselm College, which we'll talk about in just a moment as former President Donald Trump speaks to the annual New Hampshire Federation of Republican Women Lilac Luncheon today. It happened in Concord this morning. This is the continuation of the greatest witch hunt of all time. That's all it is. And its primary purpose is election interference, and we're not going to let this election be stolen from us. This is a form of rigging the election. Because they rigged the presidential election in 2020, and we're not going to allow them to rig the presidential so election. So he hasn't changed his tune on this one uh, on this day that the tapes emerge. We were just talking about it of him fiddling with what appear to be classified documents. Now, a couple towns over, Hollis, New Hampshire, the governor of Florida. And I remember these rallies in 2016. It was exciting. Drain the swamp. I also remember lock her up, lock her up, right? And then two weeks after the election, ah, oh, don't forget about it. Forget I ever said that. No, no, no. One thing you'll get from me, if I tell you I'm going to do something, I'm not just saying that for an election. And there are promises I could make that may help me marginally politically that I don't know that I could, that I could necessarily follow through on, so I will not make that. All right, so there you have, with new numbers like I mentioned. On the Republican primary, specifically in New Hampshire from St. Anselm College, Donald Trump 47, Ron DeSantis 19. A near 30-point spread with all single digits after that. Chris Christie has six percentage points. I can call one, but it really doesn't matter at this point. Let's reassemble the panel for their take on what's happening specifically here at this stage of the race. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano, Bloomberg Politics Contributors, Jeannie, it sounds like, uh, well, number one, Donald Trump is never going to walk away from this 2020 election. And Ron DeSantis seems to be creeping a little bit closer to the line, or is it just me? 
He does, although I noted today in his remarks, he says, you know, if the election's about Biden's failures, we'll win. But if we're relitigating 20, we lose. Mm. And yet he never, as far as I could tell, mentions Donald Trump never by name. name. Yep. And that is partly a problem. He also says he agrees with Trump on NATO. He's previously agreed to pardon January 6th of rioters. So, you know, that's a problem. And the St. Anselm poll but DeSantis down 10 points. Trump is yeah. up five. So no wonder he keeps talking about his indictment very proudly because his poll numbers keep rising the more he talks about it. Is it as simple as that, Rick? The indictment's still uh, early so far good for business? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue that the indictment hasn't buoyed him, uh, circled the wagons, uh, caused his base to become even more intensely supportive of him. And we know there's weakness there when people are asked, you know, do they want other options? Half the party says yes, uh, but it's not really reflected in these numbers. So uh, it, part of it is that there's nobody who's really offering a, a choice. And as Jeannie points out, you know, when you've got a, the number one contender right now, Ron DeSantis, who won't even use the guy's name in a speech, uh, it, it, it really isn't drawing the contrast that you would traditionally draw in a campaign. Would you tell him to start calling out the former president, Rick? Oh, I, I think every single one of these guys has to think in terms of who's leading the pack. And if I can't raise my numbers, then I better start lowering his. And the only way you're going to lower his <laughs> is to go after them directly. So he's certainly vulnerable. He's a flip flopper. He's you know didn't deliver a lot. He's lost three elections in a row. I mean, there is plenty of material to use on this guy. And the fact yeah. that everyone's caught of nibbling around the edges means they're going to lose all, array, all over the edges also. What do you make of that 10-point drop you referred to for uh, Ron DeSantis here, Jeannie? I know it's early and I know it's noisy, but he had just spent a bunch of time in New Hampshire. Remember, he was kind of going back through the early states after his official campaign announcement that may or may not have even been necessary because everybody assumed he was running, but why the precipitous decline? You know, I think he's had some uh, stumbles is probably the best way to put it in New Hampshire. Um, he's tried to answer questions. He was accused of not answering them. I, I don't know if Rick agrees because he's done this so much, but I thought this was sort of a self-inflicted wound. I understand the women's group, um, you know, maybe it's crazy. They're upset that he schedules in the morning and huh. Trump is speaking. But if you know New Hampshire, that's not a yeah. group you want to upset. They usually <laughs> remain neutral. So why would his team, and I don't even blame DeSantis for this, why would his team schedule then is a bit stunning at least not check with them before um so i think wow. we're seeing some of that he should you know we would like our candidates to have the time to grow on the campaign trail but this thing trump is running away with so at this point i'm not sure how much time he's going to have to grow if he keeps going down boy don't mess with the lilac luncheon if, if you didn't hear about this I'm, I'm you pointed us there uh genie uh the new hampshire federation of republican women uh, Donald Trump was speaking to them earlier today, apparently got very upset when Ron DeSantis scheduled a competing speech on the I, I say competing when he scheduled a speech on the same day in New Hampshire. Now, to be exact, their appearances had different start times. They were removed by several hours. The towns are about an hour apart. Rick, is that is the no one knows New Hampshire to Jeannie's point better than you, Rick. Was that a faux pas? Oh, yeah, it's a major faux pas. I mean, do not rub the wrong way the New Hampshire Federation of Republican <laughs> okay. Women. Uh, I think they're wonderful, and I would never do anything that was <laughs> well opposite them. And I don't think any candidate should. And the idea that, that they punch him in the face over it, and then he said, oh, I'm in a different part of the state. You'll get along just fine. And and and, <laughs> and, and it's not a reasonable approach if you're trying to be political. And, of course, he's running 
for the nomination. So he's being political. It doesn't do any good to say, hey, you've already sold out the place. I won't be a problem. Mm -hmm. When they say you're a problem, you actually have to do something about it. And I guarantee you this event in Hollis is not worth the grief that he has gotten because of, you know, uh, programming against the lilac lunch in the Republican (laughs) Federation of of, of Republican women. We need a menu from the lilac lunch in Jeannie. I want to know a little bit more about what's going on in there today. Ron DeSantis, meantime, was at a town hall. He had to endure voter questions on top of it, Jeannie. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, first of all, the lilac lady, we love them. And and, and I'm sure they had a lovely luncheon. Um, yeah, so. he, he, you know, he, he, he had to endure questions. It's something he's got to get used to because famously, obviously, he's governor of Florida, but he doesn't take a lot of questions. He doesn't like to from the press in particular. But yeah. in this case, he's got to take them from voters in Iowa, New Hampshire on the ground. Retail politics, he's got to get better at it. All right. Pulling Rick and Jeannie into a hot controversy in New York. Coming up, Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano, our political panel. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. Thanks for joining us on the fastest show in politics. With a lot more ahead, this is Bloomberg. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. The debate here in Washington over gas stoves has captivated the nation, as you've heard here on Sound On. But nothing like the controversy being cooked up now in New York City, a place more closely associated with pizza than anywhere in the world after Naples, right? The oldest, most iconic pizzerias in the city, of course, use coal, if not wood, to create their magic. But those old coal ovens apparently may be at risk. As the city's Department of Environmental Protection drafts rules that would require pizzerias with coal and wooden fire ovens to cut their carbon emissions by 75%. Yeah, this is real. And those pizzeria owners are not happy throwing pizzas over the gates of City Hall and under Mayor Eric Adams' front lawn. The public can weigh in without throwing pizza over my gate. They could have delivered me the pie. That's true. And allowed me to eat the pie and sat in, you know, the cow and have a conversation with me. And so I'm going to call the person through pizza over my gate. Not going to happen. To tell him he needs to bring a vegan pie to me. Something tells me that is not going to happen, though, outside City Hall. The Boston Tea Party? Yep. Well, this is the Boston... New York, this is the New York pizza party. Pizza party. Give us pizza or give us death. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. He starts throwing pizza over the gates. Uh, Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano, this is is the kind of thing, the kind of controversy you can really sink your teeth into. Uh, Jeannie, you're in New York. What's going on here? Is this real? I'll, I will just repeat what the New York Post said. Mamma mia, it has been bad here, Joe Matthew. People <laughs> yes. are throwing pizza. Nothing gets they New are. Yorkers to, you know, upset like this. It's the rhetoric is heightened. Um, you know, even Elon Musk has gotten in on this. I won't repeat what he had to say. So the mayor is trying. He keeps telling us pizza makes you happy. Let's just do it in a way that's not toxic. So you there's like that. The, you like the mayor's tactic there, Rick? Would you invite him over the house? 
Yeah, I'd invite them over to the house, but uh, I'd give them some flexibility on the vegan order. Come on, vegan pizza? Who does well, that? Unless it's a margarita I pizza. Twice just I think that's fair, right? So nice, Angelina. Fair. Rick and Jeannie, thank you as always. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano, our signature panel here on Sound On. You won't hear stories with punch or analysis with vigor like this anywhere else. And yeah, I know. Now we all want pizza. Thanks for listening to the Sound On Podcast. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already at Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And you can find us live every weekday from Washington, D.C. at 1 p.m. Eastern Time at Bloomberg.com. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.